Welcome to Forming the Spirit Within, a teaching ministry of Pastor Brad Riley. Pastor Brad is an associate and teaching pastor at First Church of the Nazarene here in Wichita, Kansas. He is the founder and director of the Merciful Servants of Christ, as well as the author of numerous articles. And now, here's Pastor Brad. Tonight, as it's week four, really, uh, we want to, on your notes for tonight, I wanted to be able to review. Each week I like to review just a little to give you a chance to think about some of the big topics we've talked about. So as we said last week, in week three, in week two, let me sorry, week two we learned that the key to unlocking the mystery of prayer was to realize that God heard our prayers before time began and made his plan for the world. However, if we don't pray them, they're not there for God to hear. Kind of keep repeating that phrase because that's huge for us to to figure out and learn. So then in week three, we begin to talk about, that was last time we met together, the goal of the Christian life is not only to know God's will, but to literally be God's will. We can know without being. Does that make sense to you? It's possible for us to know something in an intellectual way but not be in a spiritual way. And the goal of the Christian life is to not just know God in an intellectual way, but to become like God as much as a human can. That's a process the ancient world, the ancient Christians called theosis. Did I talk to you about theosis a couple of weeks ago? It's a big Greek word. You want to know that word. I'm going to write it on the board for you. It has everything to do with a life of prayer. I'll write it down here. Theosis. comes from the Greek theo, meaning God, or theus is God, and uh, then the idea of an is, which means a science of something. So theosis is the idea, or, or the, the coming, becoming something, becoming like God. Theology is the science of studying God. Theosis is the act of becoming like God. Okay, That idea of that word is right there, promoting the idea of being. So how do we become like God? Now, I don't mean become like God in that we become divine powers that can create our own worlds or anything like that. I don't mean that at all. Neither did the ancient Christians that wrote about it. What they did mean is that the the call to holiness in the life of a Christian is to become as holy as we can, to keep growing Godward. Always, St. Paul called it the upward call in the book of Philippians, the upward call, always growing towards God, always being refined, always being purified, always being sanctified, uh, more and more and more and more and more until one day, Maybe uh, we're just with God. You know, the scripture tells us that's what happened to Enoch. Enoch grew so close and walked with God that God just took him, it says. Um, So there are, of course, uh, varying degrees of holiness, how we become holy. I I like to relate it back to the idea of being. God is the only eternal being. God is the only thing in our universe, if I can 
person, whatever. He, God is a person in that sense. He's a spirit and a person in the persons of the Holy Trinity. But what I'm trying to say is that God is the only one who can say he is. You and I can't say, well, if I was trying to be funny, I'd say we can't say we is. <laughs> okay? In English, you've got to change everything around. We can't say that we are or that I am. Remember how much trouble Jesus got into using the words I am. Why did he get into trouble every time he would use the words I am? The Pharisees would get mad at him. Blasphemy, they'd shout, you know, because in the old language of Hebrew, in the Old Testament, when God used his personal name, Yahweh, it basically translated through the word I am. God said, I am who I am. And if we looked it up in the Hebrew, Hebrew has no vowels. Okay, so it was just the letters, the consonants. Y-H-W-H. That says Yahweh. In, in my English, I'm going to try and say it like a Hebrew would. Okay, now, of course, for English, we've put in a, you know, the vowels there to spell it out. We'll put an A in here, and we'll put an A in here. And, and we'll put an E in here, Yahweh, um, or maybe just an A here. Um, the idea is, though, this is called, does anybody know what this is called? This four-letter name of God that is pronounced I am, if we were to say it in English? Does anybody know what that's called? This is called the tetragrammaton. Wow. If you ever hear that term, the tetragrammaton, you know what it means. The Tetragrammaton is the holy name of God written in consonant form out of the Hebrew language. Tetragrammaton. That's a mouthful, isn't it? The Tetragrammaton, this is the word that the Hebrews would not write. This is the word that the Hebrews would not say. Okay? So in the Hebrew language, whenever they wanted to speak of God, they used the word. Does anybody know? Starts with an A. Adonai. 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 Adonai means Lord. My Lord. Okay? And so they referred to God as their Lord. Lord like a master. Okay? So God is our master. God is our Lord. So that became the practice in translating Bibles. It became, in scriptures, it became the practice to translate the word Lord. In English Bibles, whenever you see the word L-O-R-D like this, and where the O-R-D is in capital letters, instead of this word, okay, whenever you see this word, it is equal to the to this. That's where in Hebrew it would have said Adonai, and in English it says Yahweh. So just to throw in a little fun side note, where does the word Jehovah come from? Because you've heard Jehovah before too, right? It means they're pretty famous witnesses all over the world, right? Yeah. Jehovah's Witnesses. They got their name wrong. It should be Yahweh's Witnesses. It should be the YWs and not the JWs. It's a mispronunciation of Yahweh. It is a mistranslation of this. The Tetragrammaton. Okay? What happened in the, the around the year 1000, 
in the in 900s to 1000, there was a group of Jewish, basically monks, Jewish, who wrote, um, they, were, they were monastics, that's all their life was devoted to, they were called the Masoretes. And they translated the old, the Jewish scriptures in English. And in the Masoretic text, and that's what most of our English Bibles are based on, the Masoretic text, which is from the year 900 to 1000, somewhere in that area. The Masoretic text, those Hebrews, they they point, they used, they they invented, the Masoretes invented a way of point, they put a little dot here or a little squirmy line here or whatever. And it would, those meant how to pronounce something, how to add a vowel to something. And it was just mis, best we can figure out, there was a mistranslation and it became Instead of Yahweh, it became Yehovah through adding different. <laughs> Jehovah never was God's name. It's just a misspelling of God's name. Now, it's a beautiful name, and I love some of the songs, you know, that say Jehovah in it, you know. Uh, in the presence of Jehovah. Now, every time I sing that in my heart, i got to say of Yahweh. <laughs> it doesn't fit at all. Doesn't fit. So, so Jehovah was a God's name, but if you want to use it, go right ahead. It's okay. But I say all of that to say, we're, as we learn tonight, we're going to learn about this idea of uh, prayer. Prayer draws us ever closer to the heart of God. God is the only eternal being. We are trying to grow ever closer to him. Why do I say he's the only eternal being and that we're not? We can't say I am because I am, I am right here in this place right now in this moment. No, I'm not. That was a moment ago when I started to say it. Now I'm in this moment. No, no, I'm in this moment. I'm, I'm all. There's no such thing as the present. There is past. There's future. God is only God that exists in present. Because God is eternal and he exists outside of time and space. Got that? God exists outside of time and space. Time and space were created for you and I, for this world, to exist in and to measure. One day we will leave this world. Either through death, uh, when he comes again in his second coming, eh, or if some of us are really holy enough, maybe we'll get the pleasure of like Enoch did, to just be with God. Probably not. But uh, no, I won't. But um, I, I wanted to say all that to say this idea of theosis, this Greek word theosis, is growing Godward, growing to be like God, believing that we are becoming like God. It's the process of becoming like Him. Scripture in the book of Psalms, many places it says, You are little gods, always with a small g. Okay? You are little gods, small g. Never divine like God, of course. Um, so for English, we just it's easier to just say, you know, we want to become holy. Uh, but don't let that scare you. Don't let the thought of holiness scare you. How holy can you become? Is there a limit? There is not a limit. How holy can we become? There's no limit. We just got to keep going God. Now, so as we unlock this idea, we must realize that God's will is for us to be God's will, to inhabit his will, to, cut, to grow so close to him that we don't have to ask what his will is. We know what his will is. Now, what's the practicality of that? I'm 58 years old. I've been a 
ordained minister for uh, all these years. I've been in ministry all these years, uh, 20 years. I'm not going to tell you that I'm that good and that knowledge and that close. I wish I could. wish I could tell you, you just follow me. I got this figured out. I can't do that. Still growing Godward myself. Okay, but there's a goal to shoot for. Okay, and I'm going to share a prayer with you a little later. Okay, I'm going to share a prayer with you a little later. It's called the Litany of Humility. The Litany of Humility. Does anybody, does everybody know what the word litany means? Does anybody, anybody, litany? You've heard it probably, but maybe aren't familiar with what it means. A litany is a, it's a Latin word meaning a list of things. Okay. So in a litany, in prayer terms, a litany would be a list of prayers that we want to pray for. list of things that we want to pray for. And we're going to talk specifically tonight, we're going to introduce the theme of petitionary prayer. So our petitions are like a litany that we bring to God. Okay. Some of you, if you've been in, I'm sure most of you have at least visited a liturgical style worship service somewhere. Maybe it was Catholic, maybe it was Lutheran, maybe it was Orthodox, maybe it was even Methodist. Some, the idea of there's a point in the service where they have what they call the great litany, where the minister recites and let us pray for, uh, well, let's just use, for example, our, our president. You know, That's in almost every litany. Let's pray for our leaders and our president especially. Or and, and then the people respond to his response. He says, and he says, let us pray to the Lord. And then the people respond with some kind of response. A lot of times it's, Lord, hear our prayer. So you see this dialogue happening between the minister, leader, and the congregants, and they're both speaking towards God. That's what a litany is. Now you can have a litany on your own, too. That's a corporate litany. But litanies happen in our own private life, too. Litanies of prayer. Especially, I want to share with you later, with the last part of our class on the litany of humility. So our prayers, we learned last week that our, the idea that we want to realize is that prayer is about relationship with God. It is not a tool to be used. It's a relationship. Prayer is a relationship to live in with God. Do we want God? We said this last week. Do we want God or do we want something from God? Big difference. Is the object of our prayers to adore and to magnify and to worship and to grow close to God, or is it just to get something from him? Now, there are places where we need things from him, yes. But but we're going to learn everything has its place as we go through this idea of learning to pray. So let me give you a scripture to kind of focus on for tonight. We find it in the Gospel of Matthew. In the Gospel of Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this in chapter 6. He says, and when you pray, this is verse 5, starting in verse 5, and when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. Okay, so right there Jesus is making a comparison between what he wants his followers to be like, clearly not like those. And he's calling those that he's comparing to hypocrites. We don't know exactly who he was pointing to. Might have been Pharisees, we don't know. Could have been pagans, could have been anybody that was standing around. But And when you pray, you shall not be like hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues. Probably talking about Pharisees since he's in the synagogue, okay. 
and on the corner of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. That's pretty harsh. Their prayer has already been answered. And you know what their reward was? The adoration that the people gave them on the street. Oh, aren't those guys holy? That's their reward. Not necessarily the answer they were looking for. So Jesus goes on. But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So right now we're seeing Jesus is drawing his followers to a relate, an inner secret relationship with Jesus, with the Father. Prayer, the, the best directions Jesus ever gave on prayer is in this chapter. It's about to go into the Lord's Prayer in a little bit here. Okay, And it's all where? It's not in church, is it? It's a secret. It's in your prayer closet. It's in your home. It's in your. It's inside the, the sanctuary of your heart, in other words. And he says, when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do. Well, does that mean we can't ask the Lord for something over and over and over again? Because that would just be a vain repetition? No, I don't think it means that at all because Jesus tells us another story when he talks about the woman who continually brings her request, her petition, if you will, to the unjust judge. She brings it over and over and over and over and over until finally the unjust judge says, this lady's wearing me out. I grant you your petition. Now, he's not trying to compare the unjust judge to the father. The father doesn't look at us like we're a nuisance and that we are wearing him out. But he is comparing the idea that if some, we have burdens in our heart, we have petitions in our heart, we can bring them to the Father over and over. We may not understand or see when the answer comes. God, but I'm going to tell you something. You can write this down if you want to. God always answers our petitions. That's, that's, a, that's a Brad Riley slogan, okay? I'm not getting that out of a book. It's what I firmly believe. And I've read books that say otherwise. But I believe God always answers our petitions. We may not like the answer. The answer might be no. The answer might be yes. The answer might be not now. The answer might be I'll do that later for you when I think you are ready. There could be all kinds of answers. But God does not ignore our prayers. He does not. Because he can't. He can't ignore our prayers. He's too good. He's love. God is the essence of love. So God always answers prayers. Now, and Jesus says, the Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. He says, don't play in vain repetitions. What is a vain repetition if it's not just requesting the same thing over and over? I think the idea is the key on the word vain. The, the problem is not the repetition. The problem is the vanity of the repetition. Heathens truly believe that their prayers would be answered by babbling. Just over and over and over and over and over and over and over babbling, but not with sincerity from their heart. Of course, they were praying to, a lot of times, a, most of the time, a wooden idol or something like that. Um, so the idea, Jesus is warning us against vanity, not just in any and all cases. Repetition. So be careful with your thought of repetitiousness before you become judgmental. 
it might be that there is something that is a burden, and we're going to talk about that as we go tonight, this idea of when the burden really carries us into the idea of needing to, to pray it over and over. Um, so he goes on. This is the key word for us. Therefore, verse 8 is our key for tonight. Therefore, do not be like them. For your Father knows the things you have need of. Can anybody finish the sentence for me? Before you ask them. Your Father knows the things you're in need of before you ask them. Now, if you look at tonight's notes, uh, there are three overarching kinds of prayers. The first one is petitionary. Second is intercessory. Third is contemplative. Tonight we want to talk about going inward and what petitions are about. And here's the first thing I want you to see on your notes under week four. What we need to know about our petitionary prayer is that on an elementary level, on an elementary level, words don't really matter. Okay? But, as soon as I say that, I have to qualify it. But on a higher level, and I forgot to put the word level in there. Forgive me there. On a higher level, words matter greatly. Well, which is it? Well, they're two different levels, and let's don't confuse them. We're going to talk about what that means. And then finally, we must learn what it means to pray from our convictions, not just from our emotions. I'm giving you all three of those answers right here, the early part of, of the class, because I want those are, those are the essence and the basis of what we're about to talk about. I'm going to give you some things that tonight that I've learned uh, from, uh, I've mentioned them before, things that I've learned in my study of prayer from this gentleman uh, who was himself a, an archbishop in the Russian Orthodox Church when he was alive. His name is Anthony Bloom. Um, in his book, Beginning to Pray, highly recommend everyone read it. It's a very deep book, even though it's a little short book. You want to read this book. Is it Bloom? It's like a flower that blooms, B-L-O-O-M, Anthony Bloom. Um, Anthony Bloom is a blessed memory. He passed on. This book was copyrighted in 1970. I think it was first printed in 1970. And uh, tremendous, tremendous book, simple but tremendous. I, I just go over it and over and over, and I constantly keep making notes. Um, and we're going to look at some of those notes tonight because I want to share with you some things that I feel are very pertinent to this idea of going going inward and uh, understanding what our words are about when we pray in this idea of petitioning God. So let me share just a few thoughts, and then we'll kind of break them down from, from Anthony's book. Um, he says that in the use of our words, there are basically three kinds of prayers. Okay, in the word, use of our words, there are basically three kinds of prayers. Three things that we can do with prayer. We can use spontaneous prayer. That would be one. There's no fill in the blanks on these. You can just write them down if you want. One would be spontaneous prayer. We can. That would be uh, the kind of prayer that just gushes forth from our souls. Okay, and that's how his quick explanation of it. We'll get a little deeper into it in a minute. We can also use a short vocalized prayer. A short vocalized prayer. Um, 
an example of that, and I'll give you, uh, he gives it a little later, an example of that could be something as simple as three words, Lord have mercy. Lord have mercy. Okay, for instance, um, you're horrified by something and your first instinct is Lord have mercy. Lord have mercy. That's a prayer, short vocalized prayer. Okay. Um, of course, we need to understand what we mean by that and what those words mean, but it's perhaps one of the oldest prayers of, of uh, ever uttered is Lord have mercy. Um, but then the third option would be, um, as he says, is kind of a what they call, it's not a good name, but it's a name that he uses. He says it's ready-made prayers. Ready-made prayers, not a good option. But maybe there's times when it just works, okay? He does not say that ready-made options are not the kind of prayers that are just written prayers, like the Lord's Prayer. That's not a ready-made prayer. Ready-made prayers, let's see if I can... His distinction of that was uh, the idea they're from the flattest productions of people who are trying to invent prayers for all occasions. <laughs> you know, if you maybe just... Was it really a prayer from the heart, or was it just something somebody wrote because they wanted to write it? Um, so... How do you know something's deeper than flat? Okay, You might read something somebody wrote. For you, it's deep. But there are many prayers that have been passed down through the ages by great men of God, men and, men and women of God, okay, saints of God. Those prayers have been collected over time, but they weren't really from them. They were born out of the crucible of their lives. They were born out of the crucible of their holy lives, and they're, they were, they're really born of the Holy Spirit. Okay, when For instance, let's take, for instance, the prayer of St. Francis of Assisi. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. When you read through a, a, a prayer, you, you, that's just not ready-made. That was born of somebody's deep yearning. Whether it was St. Francis or not, we really don't know, but he gets credit for it. Now, those type of things are the things I'm talking about that have been passed down. Sometimes there's a, you'll find them in, you know, like I say, the writings of saints. You'll find them in the writings of churches. You'll find them in the writings of, of uh, men and women of God, great reformers. You'll find, them in the, you'll find them in hymn books. Many of our hymns are prayers. If you listen to the words as they're written down. They're really prayers. Um, and they were usually born out of a deep, soul-reaching experience, reaching towards God. That's what do we mean by uh, a written prayer, not a ready-made prayer. Now, um, of those three, which are you more familiar with? Be thinking about it. Of those three, which are you more familiar with? Well, probably most of us are more familiar with the spontaneous because we've been taught, as evangelicals, we've been taught to pray spontaneous prayers. Is there value in spontaneous prayers? Absolutely. Is there value in written prayers? Absolutely. We need them both. But I like what Anthony Bloom says. He says, let us imagine, let us not imagine that we can sustain spontaneous prayer throughout our whole life. If we do, we're in a childish delusion. He said, spontaneous prayers need to gush from our souls. They need to, 
They need to flow from within in a place that we can't always get in tap to just when we turn on like a water faucet. Okay? So that's the idea. Now I think probably the longer we walk with God, the closer we walk with God, the more that is quicker and more responsive to our soul. But he says there are whole periods when you are neither at the bottom So sometimes spontaneous prayers, he says, come from when we're at the bottom and our souls just, we're just so broken, we don't know what to do and it just pours forth from us. We just cry out to God, right? The other times it comes from a mountaintop experience where we're just euphoric and we're just praising God. But he says a whole lot of life where we're in the middle. A whole lot of life where we're in the middle. How's our prayers then? Where where are our prayers founded then? And where are they found? He says... um, when you have to do something, there's all there's times when you're neither at the bottom nor at the top when you have to do something about praying, and that is the period when you cannot always just pray from spontaneity, but you can pray from conviction. This is why I said to you here, we must learn to pray from our convictions, not just our emotions. What do we mean by that? Well, let me give you an example. He gives the example in his book. What does it mean uh, for a, uh, to pray from convictions? Um, an example that comes to me, he, said, he goes on to say, this is very important because many people who begin a life of prayer think that unless they feel very strongly about the words and phrases they are using, okay, they're not being sincere. Let me say that again. That in, many people, when they're beginning a life of prayer, think that unless I feel very, very strongly about every one of these words I'm using, I'm not being sincere. He said, this is not true. One can at times... Be perfectly sincere in the lucidity of one's mind, in the straightness of one's will, although at a given moment these words, or can it be gestures, do not express what we feel at the moment. Now, what would be a good example of that? I love the example he gives. When you live, when you live in your family and you work out of doors and you're doing a heavy kind of hard work, and you come back, you come back physically worn out. And if at that moment you walk in the house and you're physically worn out, and if that moment your mother, your sister, your father, whoever, comes to you and says, do you love me? And you would say, I do. And if the other person goes on investigating, but do you really love me? At this moment, do you really love me? Maybe they were in a position where they needed that reassurance or something. And what you could honestly have said is, no, I feel nothing but my aching back (laughs) and my worn out body. (laughs) But you're perfectly right in saying I love you. Why? Because you know that underneath all that exhaustion there is this current of love and that is your conviction. Now let's take that into our world of prayer. And see, what does that mean to pray from conviction? Not just emotion. And I think what's important for us to see is that Christ loves us. He says, when Christ says, those who love me keep my commandments. He does not say, if you love me, you will go from one emotion into another emotion, into a state of rapture, into another one, into a theological vision, and into another one. It's not what Jesus says. He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. 
He just says, if you believe my words, then live up to what you've received. Live up means always live a little above one's means. To do more than you could have done spontaneously. So you see there is need for some sort of prayer which is not just spontaneous. So what is this prayer that is not just spontaneous? Well, it, it is the short vocal prayers. It is the prayers that are sometimes written. It is the prayers that we can learn from as we pray them and meditate upon them. That become, over time, our own convictions. Now, I want to share some examples with you tonight. I brought this up last week at the end after class when we were just talking. Several years ago, I discovered I discovered the idea of morning of a morning prayer. This is a morning prayer. I, I only had two of these cards left, so I brought them. I've given them all away. I made these. You know how the Catholics have their prayer cards? Have you ever seen Catholic prayer cards? Beautiful little laminated things with a prayer on one side, you know, and a picture of the saint or whoever on the other side. Although that's pretty neat, but I can't make those. So I made my own prayer card. It's a little bit bigger because my eyes are a little not as good, and I thought I'll keep it in my book where I won't lose it. So I made these cards. I I discovered this prayer quite by accident. One day, just reading through some some material uh, uh, on a website, on ancient Christianity. It's called the Morning Prayer of St. Philaret of Moscow. St. Philaret of Moscow is a man named Philaret who was, like Anthony Bloom, the patriarch or metropolitan of Moscow, the Russian Orthodox Church. But Philaret was 100 years ago. He lived in the late 1800s early. So he was reigning back in those days as patriarch. Considered a great holy man, many writings, many things. Well, his prayer has kind of been passed down through the ages. And this is his prayer. So you judge for me if this isn't a good prayer full of thoughts that would benefit you because it sure has benefited me. Pray this in the morning when you get up. That's what I do. Oh Lord, grant me to meet the coming day in peace. Help me in all things to rely upon your holy will. In every hour of the day, Reveal your will to me. Bless my dealings with all who surround me. Teach me to treat all that comes to me throughout this day with peace of soul and with the firm conviction that your will governs all. In all my deeds and words, guide my thoughts and feelings. In unforeseen events, let me not forget that all are sent by you. Teach me to act firmly and wisely without embittering and embarrassing others. Give me the strength to bear the fatigue of the coming day with all that it shall bring. Direct my will. Teach me to pray. Pray you yourself in me. Amen. Pray you yourself in me. And that's a way of asking Jesus If you'll remember back to week one, I told you Richard Foster said, real prayer is learning to think God's thoughts after him. Asking the Lord Jesus to so inhabit our being that our thoughts are his thoughts, that our prayer requests are really what he would have us to pray for. Teach me what to pray for, in other words. Teach me your will. Come inside me, inhabit me. Help me to to do your will in such a way that I know 
like I said, that it's 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 being God's will, not just intellectually thinking we know God's will. So that's what it means to teach you, pray you yourself in me. It's a deep thought, isn't it? But did you hear the do you hear the, the the mood of the prayer and what it's trying? What's that prayer trying to do? What I found in it, I, I resonated with me right away. I thought, wow. Now I've never memorized it to this day. I can start it out and I'll kind of forget part of it or something. But you know what? I can. There are things when things happen in the middle of my. I've been doing this for years now, and I've I've not memorized it on purpose. I think because I used to pride myself on thinking I could memorize so much. And I want to take a moment. I want to read it, and I want to pronounce the words. I actually, I think there's a benefit in praying out loud. I love to pray out loud. I want to vocalize my thoughts. And as I form those words, but I, I can't even tell you the number of times I've had problems where I have, maybe I've done something and I embittered somebody, and I felt very bad about it. And I thought, oh, Lord. Or I've been about to, and I've remembered, oh, Lord, help me not to embitter and embitter. When I'm going into a meeting and I'm feeling stressed and I know I might say something I shouldn't, I thought, oh, Lord, remember I prayed this morning. Don't let me embitter anyone or embarrass anyone in this meeting or that sort of thing. See, things come back to you. Or something happens that just rocks your world and you think, Lord, grant me to greet this day in peace. You know, these phrases come back to me from this prayer. So it's a value of a written prayer written down over 100 years ago has great value even today in our souls if we if we let them. So what I want to share with you tonight, I wrote two of the most simple ones on your sheet right there at the bottom of the page. This idea of what a short vocal prayer. Now, that's, some would argue, well, that's not real short, Brad. <laughs> um, but it's certainly written, but it's not short. But there are short ones that have great value, especially in the crucible of the moment. I'll tell you one that I have memorized. And that's right. These two mean a great deal to me. Lord, have mercy. What is the mercy of God? How do you understand the mercy of God? If I could ask you, how would you share what you understand of the mercy of God? What does it mean to you? To me, it's, it's when I've messed up really bad and it still has come out good when I know it, I should have been, it should have been worse okay. for whatever I've done. Okay. So we could say God was merciful to you in that sense. I think that's good. The the thought behind the root of this word, in it, the etymology of the word of mercy, is the idea of compassion. Compassion. God is always merciful. Get that through your heads. God is always merciful. Okay? When something... This is going to sound difficult to hear. When something, oh, how do I say this? Um, I learned this early on from uh, a former district superintendent of ours. When I first came to the Church of the Nazarene, there was a district superintendent here. His name was Dr. Robert Serato. He had told a story once, and I was very new in the church in those days. He told the story about his two children, a daughter and a son, and uh, he, I think, I can't remember if they were twins now, but um, one of them died, got very sick and died. And he just pleaded with God to not take his child. He pleaded with God to not take his child. 
to not let that child die, and that child died. And of course, that's every parent's greatest fear, to, to lose a child. And if somebody in here has lost a child, my I don't mean to bring up hard memories. My heart breaks for you. But Dr. Serrato said, then some years later, his other child got sick. Same type thing. Looked like this one was going to die too. And he said, he shouted at God. He called out to God, you cannot take my child. And in God's mercy, over time, that child got better and did not die. But he said he really repented and he really thought, you know, he, 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 it, it's like it turned in his spirit when he finally came and said to God, okay, God, it's your child. If in your mercy you believe it's better for this child to be with you than with me, then I'll accept that. And maybe that's why my other child died too, because God was merciful. God knew. Remember, God who's outside of time and space that knows the beginning from the end, knows what our lives hold that we don't know. Maybe in God, God is always merciful. And so through the horrible actions of things that happen in our fallen world, we can still see God's mercy and believe in God's mercy to help explain why. Things that we can't know, but we can say why. Well, the answer is because God is always merciful. And I choose to believe that because it's consistent with love. It's, it's consistent with his character. So the idea of Lord have mercy. Yes. So this is the answer to when people say... Why do bad things happen to good people? Absolutely. Absolutely. Why do bad things happen to good people? Because, one, we live in a fallen world, mm -hmm. and, and things happen indiscriminately. Mm -hmm. You know, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Mm -hmm. But also, in a deeper way, because God knows and God is always merciful. He would never let anything happen. If God took me young, Knowing the balance of my life might not have been good. He was merciful, right? Mm -hmm. That's kind of like thinking, you know, as you get older and you see a lot of people struggle, you know, as they get older and the health fails and everything, it'd be merciful to, to die younger, to not go through, you know, all of the stuff as older. You know, like my mother, she went through a lot. Mm -hmm. And so for myself, if I was to die younger and not go through what she did, to me that would seem merciful. Yes, it would seem that way. And here's the challenge is what about the times when we don't see the mercy? What about the person who lives so old and gets has so many strokes and just literally is a vegetable and just lays there right. or can't move or has to. Right. I mean, you and we see to see that kind of suffering mm -hmm. and make no mistake, that suffering. Mm -hmm. Bonnie, excellent example, Bonnie, I I know when I went to visit Bonnie in January, I was sitting there talking to her, and she literally, she, she, she started to smile when she saw me kneel down by her and talk to her. I have absolutely no ability of knowing how much good it did for her, though, because she was pretty much not able to respond to anything. But I have to, and, and I, what I know is that on some level, there's probably the Bonnie we all knew inside her thinking, what, why am I like this? Why do I have to be like this? And we, we can't even know what that suffering must be like. But what we can know is that no matter whether our suffering is like that or whether our suffering is like the child who has cancer or what I've come to believe is my heart, my heart uh, problem, 
that I have. Whatever it is, I believe in a doctrine that we never talk about that we should talk about. It's called redemptive suffering. The doctrine of redemptive suffering. Jesus says in, in, in a, he says, take up your cross, deny yourself, and come and follow me. We, and, and John, I mean, Paul says it this way in Romans 8, verse 17. He says, we are heirs with Christ. And boy, everybody loves to shout that. But nobody finishes the second part of the verse. We are heirs with Christ if indeed we suffer with Christ. Suffering is part and parcel of the Christ-like life. Because remember, we're supposed to be coming like Christ, right? Who was called to suffer, who was born to suffer. Now, we don't go look for suffering. Okay, that's not right. You know, we're not masochists. But when suffering presents itself, whether in Alzheimer's or whether in the death of a young one or in the, the disease that ravages us, whatever it is, whatever it is, suffering, we can turn that suffering into prayer and just offer it back to God so that others who see the way we respond to our own suffering can be blessed and see God's mercy. That is a powerful doctrine that we never talk about, the power of redemptive suffering. Our, let our suffering be to God's glory. That's the key. Now, so, Lord have mercy. We're talking a lot about the mercy of God. The second, the, the second prayer, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy. I repeat that over and over. I'm a threes guy, okay? I like the Trinity. I like Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I say everything in threes. Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy. When, when something, if I'm, if I'm driving, I'm just letting you into my soul here, okay? If I'm driving around wherever I'm at, this has become my prayer, Lord have mercy. Wherever I'm at, I'm walking out of a hospital, I'm driving, and somebody's car's broken, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy. I'll say it three times, Lord have mercy. I guess in my mind I'm thinking, Father have mercy, Son have mercy, Spirit have mercy, but you know I don't think of that. There's Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, okay, because it can mean all of them. Walking out of a hospital, suffering people in a room, Lord have mercy on that person, Lord have mercy. I'm just pray, pray, Lord have mercy. So Lord have mercy is a breath prayer. It's something you can pray a lot. Very easily and very quickly, okay? But it can also be very deep, born of your spirit, and you're deep, led by God out of your spirit. But if you don't, but if you don't feel it, you don't mean it, don't pray it. Because then it becomes a vain repetition that Jesus warns us about. You with me? It's going to do you no good to go home tonight and say, Lord, kneel down beside your bed and says, Pastor Brad said, I need to pray three times. Lord, have mercy, Lord, have mercy, Lord. It's, I'm, I'm sorry. It can be vain repetition unless God is leading your spirit to say it. Don't do it because I say it. Okay? Does that make sense to everybody? Yes. Now, the second one is called the Jesus Prayer. Nobody knows who wrote this prayer. Nobody knows who first vocalized it. It is ancient. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. This prayer is so rich. We could do an hour-long class on this prayer. This idea, we're vocalizing to the, the Trinity, we're vocalizing to the Son, that's a role of His in the Trinity, the person of His in the Trinity. We're vocalizing to God, we're calling Him God, Lord Jesus Christ. We're saying He's the Christ, He's the Messiah. We're saying, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, He is God, He is God's Son. Have mercy on me, a sinner. We're acknowledging that we are repentant. We are sinners. And we need God's mercy. 
It took me a few years in the Church of the Nazarene to figure out the doctrine of holiness and the doctrine of sin and repentance and the doctrines of entire sanctification. And what I met was, when I first came to the Church of the Nazarene, I met two kinds of people. Some that thought they were saved and sanctified and never sinned again. And others who were saved and sanctified and realized that they were still sinners. Not sinners on purpose. Okay. But still sinners. Okay. May it never be, the Apostle Paul says, that we should sin on purpose. But let us never forget that we are all sinners. And there is always something within me that is short of his glory. So I need to repent. And I need to pray repair prayers of repentance. And this is a beautiful prayer of repentance. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Breathe that, pray it. It's so easy to memorize. It's just one of those breath prayers. I'll just stop in the middle of the day. Something will happen in the middle of my day, and I'll just stop and say, I'll just say that prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Especially if I started thinking a little too much of myself. Uh, But just at different times. It's a practice. These are type of prayer practices that that can... Form your spirit, okay? Now, I only have about 10 minutes left, and I have something very important I want to go through with you. On the back of your sheet, I talk about approaching, how to approach God with our petitions. Okay, remember what are our petitions? Our petitions are the things that we're going to, they're the litanies, the things that we're going to ask God for. But remember, Matthew 6, 8 told us God already knows what they are. So if he already knows, why do we ask? Get this book real quick here. So if he already knows, why do we ask? Because he has to hear it out loud. No, he doesn't have to hear it out loud. No. He knows thoughts. We he need to hear it out loud. We need to hear it out loud. We Can need I to speak? ask. We need to ask. We need to come before our Father. The asking is for us. Because if we don't, then we're assuming upon his grace. Okay? That's like the child who grows up in a family so spoiled, they just assume Mommy and Daddy will always forgive them. Mommy and Daddy will always, you know, I know. Ask. Um, and say please. <laughs> and say the magic words, please and thank you. So when you bring your petitions to God, always begin with praise. I'm just going to give you some models tonight, okay, in our last few minutes together. Always begin with praise. Always, I'm going to say that again, always begin with praise. Our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be your name. That's praise. Holy is your name. Okay. Always be with praise. Um, find a model. Here's the second line. Find a model that works for you. Maybe a model of prayer that works for you is maybe a model of where prayer, if, it, if it's nothing more than every day when you wake up, pray this prayer. And just let it become a part of who you are. There's no magic in the words. You want to rewrite it? More power to you. Go rewrite it. Mm -hmm. But the idea is it's deep thoughts and it's good formative thoughts because this is what we call spiritual formation. How do we form our spirits? One moment, one day at a time. How do we master anything in our lives? Whether it's our work, our expertise, our schooling, no matter what it is, we have to have a rule. And I want to talk to you tonight about having a rule. That's on the bottom. It says, build a rule of prayer. Build a rule of prayer and stick to it. And here's the most important part. No matter how you feel. 
Okay? Because what we've heard earlier, it's not about vain repetition. But you may not feel like it. You may not feel like it. But there's value in doing it. Okay? Our, our, our dear friend and former colleague here, Dr. Steve Betts, I'm sure had many times when he didn't feel like practicing the piano. But he did it because it was a rule that was good for his abilities, his good his soul. And prayer is the rule that is good for our soul. So what's a rule of prayer? Find a model. Maybe it's the Lord's Prayer. Just adopt the Lord's Prayer. If you want to begin there, that's the model. That's the greatest model ever given because it's the words of Jesus. Take the Lord's Prayer and use it. Think it through. Pray it out loud. And then stop and think it through again and stop at each point. And what do you see? It leads us through everything. It leads us through praise in the beginning. You know, it leads us through confession. You know, forgive us our our debts as we forgive our debtors. It leads us through petition. Give us, Lord, our daily bread. Okay, stop a moment and think, what do we need today? Our Heavenly Father already knows, but go ahead and think about it. Ask about it. Um, deliver us from evil. Another petition. You know, it, it, asking for his protection. Beautiful models. Find a model that works for you and stick to it. Now, one of the models I love is, I'm going to pass these out to you. This has become my model. How many people do we have? One, two, Maybe you can pass them out. Thank you. Very much. Thank you, Carol. This is what I'm giving you is copied out of the back of my Bible. Copied out of the back of this Bible. This is called the Orthodox Study Bible. Okay, um, it's it's the Study Bible of the Eastern Orthodox Christian churches. I have lots of Bibles. I collect Bibles. Those of you that know me well know I do. But I've come to really love and and appreciate this Bible. It has all these study notes in the bottom of it. Um, but in that, in the back of it, they have a rule of prayer. For morning prayer and evening prayer. And so what you see there is the morning prayer. I just made you the morning prayers. Okay. This is my, because what it's more than just one prayer. It's more than just, the, and what you'll notice as you go through it is that the prayer of St. Philaret is actually in this, okay? You'll see it on page, on the, uh, on the last page. Uh, prayer at the beginning of the day, and it doesn't even credit Philaret there, but there it is, O oh Lord, grant me to greet the coming day in peace. That's, that's the prayer. So it's actually woven into this whole morning prayer idea. But the prayers begin in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Uh, I'm, a very vis- vi- I'm a very audible person. I like to pray out loud. And I'm a very physical person. I like to be on my knees if I can. Sometimes I want to bow down before God. I think when you go back to the root word of the word worship in Hebrew, when the, God's people were called to worship him, that word is a word of active verb, and it meant to prostrate oneself. What does it mean to prostrate oneself? It means to bow down flat on your face in front of God. Okay? Now, we may adapt that maybe. You see Jews, you see the Jews, you go to Israel, you see the Jews, what are they doing when they're praying? What are they doing? Bowing down before God. Whatever, if it helps you, great. No, I mean, I'm not telling you you have to go do that. I mean, do whatever. I love to make the sign of the cross. Of course, I was raised Catholic. Okay? But I don't even do it like Catholics do it anymore. Okay? Because the Catholics do it in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. 
You've all seen people do that. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? See, I just did it by instinct the other way. See, Orthodox Christians, name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit go from right shoulder to left shoulder. Catholics, you can always tell Catholic from an Orthodox. Okay, Roman Catholic will always go left shoulder to right shoulder. And, and, I, and, I, and you know why I changed? Not just because the Orthodox do it. I think the Orthodox are better. I'm going to root for Team Orthodox. Okay. Uh, because that was the ancient way. In my studies, I learned that was the ancient way. Ancient Christians first made the sign of the cross on their foreheads over and over. On the sign of the cross on the foreheads. Okay. And eventually it grew into the whole torso. Okay. We're talking the very early. We find these in the writings of the early ancient churches in the first, really the first decades and 100 years within the beginning of Christian faith. And it only eventually moved to left to right because in corporate worship settings, when the minister blessed the people with the cross, you're looking at it's like looking in a mirror, right? And they're trying to follow what he's doing and they go left to right. <laughs> but Eastern Christians never did that. Eastern Christians, when you go to the East, how do you read your book? From left to right, like we do in the West? No. They read from right to left. You see, everything's right to left in the Eastern world. Right to left. So, little known fact. Do it however you want to do it. Don't do it at all. Uh, I don't care. But I love it because it makes me think about it. When I, and here's another thing. Very symbolic. I was never taught this in the Catholic Church. But the Orthodox teach it to their people. When they make the sign of the cross, they'll use, and I've seen it, different ones teach it differently. Okay. But the three fingers together here, thumb and the two index fingers, for the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the two down here on the palm together for the, the, the mystery of the God-man, Jesus Christ, God and man. You're confessing all three things, all, 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 both mysteries, okay? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. There's a meaning to where you hold your fingers. I mean, those, if you're thinking about those things in your mind, in your heart, they become meaningful. You don't have to do this. We don't teach our people. If you're, and if your arthritis won't let you do it, don't worry about it. You know? It's okay. It's okay. You know, you're just thinking in your mind. But, but these are things that have found value in my life. Okay, so in my private prayer. I, I, do you see me do it on the platform in church? No. I'm not trying to disciple people into being like me or whatever. But it's part of the warp and woof of who I am. And so in my private prayer, I do it a lot. Because it makes me think, I'm a Christian. I take the cross yeah. upon me today. You know? Uh, I'm, I want to always let the cross be seen in me and let me take my own cross. Jesus says, take up your cross and follow him. And so literally, the first things I do in the morning is take up the cross upon me. And I begin to pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Glory to you, O Lord. Glory to you. What is that? Praise. Always begin with praise. Glory to you, O Lord. Glory to you. O heavenly King, O Comforter, the Spirit of Truth who are in all places and fill all things, the treasury of good things and the giver of life, come and abide in us. Cleanse us from every stain and save our souls, O good one. It's beautiful stuff. You know, you get into it and it's pretty, it's beautiful the more you look at it. And and there's there's some beautiful ones. There's one down here, the morning prayer to the Holy Trinity. Um, you know, when it says, but, but you, you know, arising from sleep, I thank you, O most Holy Trinity that for the sake of your great kindness and long-suffering, you have not had indignation against me, for I am slothful and I am sinful. That's confession. I am. Just ask my wife. I'm a little lazy sometimes, okay? I try not to be. I am slothful and I am sinful. Neither have you destroyed me in my transgressions, but you 
have shown your customary love toward mankind and have raised me up as I lay in heedlessness that I might sing my morning hymn and glorify your sovereignty. And at that point, man, my heart just sings to God. Sometimes I'll stop and sing something, you know. But, but I'm saying this is just me. I'm just giving you stuff that I've done. Because if you want to read to them, and then on the back, on the back on page two, uh, there's a, you'll see that it, there's a stop. You stop midway point after the reciting of the creed. Why do I recite the creed every day? Why is the ancient? This is, when I say I do this, understand that this has been the Christian act of worship, private worship, throughout the ages. In both East and West, because Catholics in the Western churches have very similar type things as this, okay? And so do Lutherans, and so do Episcopalians, and so do people that have generally had more of a regard for the, the ancient history of the church. But um, the creed is very formative. I, I remind myself every day the powerful mysteries of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that's what that creed does. But when you get to it, there's, there's some psalms for every day to stop and read. And then the intercessory prayers. Next week, we're going to talk about intercessory prayer. Okay? What is intercessory prayer? Praying for for others. That's right. Interceding on behalf of others. And we're going to talk about that next week. So you have a little, this is is a form. These are pretty thorough, too. Now, when I get down here in the middle of this one, save, O Lord, and have mercy upon all world rulers, on our president, I'll I'll speak his name, Donald Trump. Was Barack Obama? I said Barack Obama. I, I don't have to like a person or vote for them. I, I got, but my calling is to is to pray for them right. with all sincerity, right. you know. Um, and Laura Kelly, our governor, and then I automatically, and then I think of and on our civil authorities, and I think our police and our our firefighters and our military, and you know, just think daily to pray. These are guides to help you daily think. Again, if when you read through this, here's what I want my homework for you tonight: is go home and read, just read through this. Don't feel like you have to pray it. Okay. I just want you to read through it. And then I want you to ask this question of yourself. In my private, spontaneous prayer life, do I think to do these things every time? Do I think to do all the things that God tells me to pray for our world rulers and all these things? Do I think? It's hard to remember. So there's the rule. Rule of prayer. Just like your school rule. This is what you want to root. Somewhere, everyone needs a rule of prayer. This is just one that's been helpful for me. Now, One more thing I want to share with you. I told you I was going to give you the litany of humility. This is our closing tonight. Um, This is a book that I had made for my children. There's only two in existence. This one's for Corbin. It says his name right on the front. A Rule of Prayer for the Merciful Servant of Christ, Corbin Wilson Riley. By Bradley J. Riley. And it's personalized to him. It's personalized. I have one for my daughter, too. Hers isn't gray. Hers has got kind of pinkish colors, you know. Made it personal. Um, but inside, I've got some pictures of our trip to Israel when we were there. On the back is Corbin on the, praying at the, we, uh, the, way, the Western Wall. Uh, he didn't know I snapped that picture of him. Um, and I've got one of Brooke doing that too. Um, oh, wow, I have, to, I have to read this to you. The, I found this. This is an, another ancient Orthodox saint. Well, he's not that ancient, actually. I think he was in the last hundred years too. Ignatius Branchaninov. I can't remember when he lived now. Oh, wow. He was a Russian he, listen to this, he who abandons prayer abandons his own salvation. That's good. He who is careless about prayer is careless about his salvation. He who quits prayer renounces his salvation. That's deep thought. Wow. Good stuff. So well, I want to give you the litany. If you, on, 
as a part of my afternoon, this I took this morning prayer, afternoon prayer, and evening prayer. Three different watches of the day to try and encourage my children. I wanted them to have a lifelong book to hold on to. And then the reason it's so thick is because most of it is filled with the with the uh, psalms. I put the whole psalter in here so they could always immediately look at a psalm without having to reach for a Bible. And then it's got a place for uh, every week of the year to write reflections. Hopefully someday they'll see the value of that and write reflections to their thoughts of prayer. But the litany of humility. This is the litany of humility. Since we've been talking about petitions, and I'm sorry I've gone over it, 734, and I'll end with this, okay? Let this be our prayer of closing, okay? I want you to just listen to this. You can Google it. You can go look it up at home. It was written about 100 years ago by a Catholic, a Roman Catholic cardinal. His name escapes me. Raphael something. But listen to this, okay? It's in the form of a litany. So one person would read the, the petition, another would read the response. But if you're by yourself, you just read them both, okay? O oh, Jesus, meek and humble of heart, Hear me. From the desire of being esteemed, deliver me, O Jesus. From the desire of being loved, deliver me, O Jesus. From the desire of being extolled, deliver me, O Jesus. From the desire of being honored, deliver me, O Jesus. From the desire of being praised, deliver me, O Jesus. From the desire of being preferred to others, Deliver me, O Jesus. From the desire of being consulted, deliver me, O Jesus. From the desire of being approved, deliver me, O Jesus. From the fear of being humiliated, deliver me, O Jesus. From the fear of being despised, deliver me, O Jesus. From the fear of suffering rebukes, deliver me, O Jesus. From the fear of being defamed, deliver me, O Jesus. From the fear of being ridiculed, deliver me, O Jesus. From the fear of being wronged, deliver me, O Jesus. From the fear of being suspected, deliver me, O Jesus. That others may be loved more than I, Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be esteemed more than I, Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. That in the opinion of the world, others may increase and I may decrease. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be chosen and I set aside. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be praised and I go unnoticed. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be preferred to me in everything. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it that others may become holier than I, provided that I become as holy as I should. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. May it be so in our lives. You cannot read those words every day without them affecting you. There's value in written prayers. There's value in the rule of prayer. If you'll give me one more minute, I will tell you the closing story of a man, dear friend, who came to this church once a month to a prayer meeting every other month. It was called the Ecumenical Christian 
prayer group of Wichita. Myself and a Catholic layman started it. We prayed one month here, one month at St. Mary's Cathedral. Always on Friday, the first Friday of every month, and the first thing in the morning, 6 o'clock. And we prayed that litany of humility was part of our written prayers. We had spontaneous prayers and we had written prayers. That was one of them. We followed the morning prayer through the Catholic one. And then broke it up with spontaneous. But this gentleman, who was from the First Evangelical Free Church, after about a few years, we were together nine years in that prayer group. After a few years in that prayer group, he shared with one of us at the end, we didn't go around a circle and take prayer requests. We were there to pray this act of kind of corporate worship together. He stopped us at the end and said, you know, I, I would love you guys to pray for me. I really have a big decision to make in my life, big decision. And uh, I really would love brothers to pray for me. And so we took that seriously and we prayed for him every day. Several months later, about six months later, he made a big vocational change that was huge in his life and went to work for a ministry, uh, a very humble ministry. And uh, his name was Stuart. And Stuart uh, shared with us then the next month after he made that decision. It meant taking a huge cut in pay. It meant doing a lot of things. And he, he shared with us. He said, guys, you need to know, brothers, he said, and sisters, and we have part of the group too. He said, uh, the litany of humility changed my life. I prayed that every day because we kept one of those sheets that we passed out to pray with. And he said, that litany of humility changed my life. And he made that humbling move to go into a ministry that was much less income. And anyway, he, long story short, he's passed on now in the glory. But what a testimony that he, this first evangelical free church member did by reading this written prayer that this Catholic cardinal wrote over a hundred years ago how it changed his life. So that's all for tonight. God bless you. Thank you for coming. <laughs> this has been Forming the Spirit Within. I'm Roger Culver, inviting you to tune in next time as Pastor Brad opens God's Word, helping us to form the Holy Spirit within us. Until then, may grace and peace be with you.